Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, I'm... I, I'm sorry to do this to you, lovely listeners, but tonight is an intervention. That's right, because tonight we're talking about all those interesting habits, those superstitions you have about how you play. We're talking about gamer fallacies. I'm Chad, and tonight I'm talking with Beth. Hello. David. Hey. And Sarah. Howdy. But before we get into how all of your superstitions are wrong, uh, I wanted to briefly talk about things that are bringing us joy right now. Uh, It's been a while since we've all recorded, so welcome back. Thanks. Thank you, Beth. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that right now, can be a really rough time for everybody. So I want to know what your guys's coping mechanisms are. What is bringing you joy? And to start off, I will talk about mine. I have two actually. So my first one is very serious. I have some online communities that I really rely on. So we're talking Discord servers that you ha- you and your friends have or uh, maybe a community group. Uh, I know I have a friend of mine who has a community group for other trans individuals. And so they're talking about, you know, how uh, coronavirus is actually impacting them getting their hormones and stuff. And so she is able to have this community around her. It's really awesome. And then I have um, a Slack server that I participate on that's just a bunch of people with common interests and uh yeah i'm really enjoying those forums Uh, my husband as many of you know loves the uh paizo forums but he also participates in a couple other gaming community forums as well and as well as another podcast called geek nights oh way bigger than us (laughs) but and he participates in their forms too. So uh, those online communities can really be helpful right now. Uh, and then for my less serious one are my nails. I have really been enjoying painting my nails and like getting into different nail polish. And I've even been putting like glitter on my nails which I'd never done before. Super awesome. Do you, Beth, do you have a good way of getting glitter off? Because that's always, I find, a terrible part of doing glitter. I love it when it's on, but taking it off is a nightmare. So there's two things that you can do. Uh, One is much easier than the other, but also means that it's not going to last as long. And that's peel off base coat. Peel off base coat is my jam. I will leave a link (laughs) to my favorite in the description. Uh, I'm going to look that up right now. Uh, It's amazing. And for glitter polish, it's the best thing to use. 
However, it usually means your manicure is only going to last like two days. Um, some people can get it to last longer. I am not one of those people. I have very oily nail beds, apparently. So nothing lasts on me for very long anyway. Um, the other thing is don't use nail polish remover. Use 100% acetone. Ooh. Yeah. Nail polish remover is like, usually it has alcohol and water in it. And sometimes they're like, oh, it has vitamin E. Don't. Just use a 100% acetone and then put a nice cuticle oil on afterward. It'll do your nails so much better than just keeping rubbing and possibly even damaging your nails by scraping off the glitter. Anyway, right now they are neon green and pink, and I love them. Uh, Beth, are you are you sure that you want to say that your husband loves being on the Paizo forums? Okay, enjoys might be a better word, but he does he does like it quite a bit. He just wishes that they would be more proactive, and, and me too, in throwing bigots out. Yeah, I think that's that's everybody. <laughs> yeah. I've just I've seen some of the conversations he gets into, and love is not the word I would use. <laughs> uh, he finds entertainment value. Does uh, I also think that he really enjoys kind of a less uh, traveled part of the forums, which is the homebrew uh, forums, and he really loves. Like posting his stuff, um, he loves reviewing other people's stuff and like helping people create homebrew stuff. So, like, I think that is probably the side of the forums that he gets the most joy, and he makes sure to go into the blog posts so that he can call people out on their BS. <laughs> Which, honestly, is his calling in life. But yeah, I, I just, I hope everybody is finding, like, online communities that they're comfortable with. David, what about you? Uh, I try to get into, you know, hobbies that I haven't had the time to get into. Uh, luckily, I uh, right before lockdown and everything, uh, I picked up an Oculus Quest, so I've been playing a bunch of VR. You know, just... Real life is just depressing enough, so let's let's just, let's escape into some virtual reality. Uh, and then, just this in the last couple of weeks, uh, I picked up Breath of the Wild for the Switch. So, just another world to escape into, I suppose. It's a good one. Yep, I I I gotta say, trying to watch my wife play through this game is it's it's entertaining. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, what you got going on? I have been able, blessedly, to um, talk with some family members that I haven't been able to for a long time. So that is a definite plus here. And I have been able to take time to play an old game that had uh, gone out for a while, City of Heroes. But it has come back, so I'm able to get on there and talk to some of my old friends from there, and uh, it's been rather fun to get back into. Oh. 
Well, honestly, I'm surprised you didn't mention the newest member of your family. <laughs> well, that's because he's both the joy and lots of pain. Uh, we adopted a three-month-old kitten, and he has good days of, oh, you are such a little lovely dog. And then, holy heck, running up and down the halls, climbing the curtains. <laughs> he, I had a pan with some olive oil getting ready to boil on my stovetop. I walked away for a bit to go find some, go find the meat, and then when I came back, he was in the pan licking up all the olive oil. What the heck? He Honestly, it's your fault for leaving him. It is my fault. But why? Why would he lick all... It, can't, it doesn't taste that great. Why? Hey, you don't know. Have you ever licked olive oil off of a pan? You, you don't know. Yes. It's horrible. Also, do you have a cat tongue? Because that might make a difference. Mm, I don't true. know. That might actually... But he had the biggest frickin' pot belly of just olive oil. After <laughs> <laughs> and we're having to watch him to see if he's going to be sick or not. Oh. Oh. I love him. <laughs> That's all I can <sighs> say. That sounds like a mess. Sarah? Uh, well, you told me that I wasn't allowed to talk about any of my coping mechanisms because they weren't, quote, healthy or whatever. Uh, so I guess, <laughs> I guess probably, uh, what, one of them that is healthy, um, is that I've always been sort of a big crafter. Um, so I do a lot of like knitting and crocheting. And if, if, you know, sometimes I post that stuff on our Instagram. Um, so I've actually been able to catch up on a lot of my craft backlog. Um, and I'm sure that fellow crafters or people who just have creative hobbies know exactly what I'm talking about where you have like 14,000 projects just lined up and you are going to do them one day. And now that day is here. I wish I could relate. Um, I have not picked up any of my projects. I don't really know why. Um, but my mom did finish a quilt before um, she had a surgery. So nice. brand new quilt. Yeah. It looked super good. And your knitting always looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, I think that it's time, dear listener, for your intervention. We have delayed enough. But today, we have to talk. The time of reckoning is at hand. The time of reckoning is indeed at hand. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to use that language in an intervention. Yeah, oh, I thought we were oh, supposed sorry. to go with something like this is this is a sp a safe space and we're only doing this because we love you. Well, that's not true too. this is the hour on which you will be judged. <laughs> Yikes. None of you should hold an intervention. Intervention or exorcism? Why not both? <laughs> Let's no. you know what? Let's just see where it takes us. I want to start off by saying a couple of things. One, this has been an episode 
I've wanted to do for a really long time. And we went on break after we finished our class series, which was great. Uh, and starting in two weeks from now, we're going to go back to our class series because the uh, advanced players guide is going to be out. What? Whoop. So uh, this is something that I've been wanting to do as kind of an interim in the middle. Uh, so pretty excited about that. Uh, and I've had this idea for a while. But also, I do want to say I'm not shaming anybody here. Like, if you do these things, and most of us do, I know I do all the time. This isn't a shame. Uh, but I did want to talk about it because it's fun, right? Uh, and I do have a lot of links for the research that I did. I, aka David, because he's my editor, uh, will try to leave them into the description. And if any of you guys have, like, questions about these fallacies, let me know. Um, because these are logical fallacies. Well, some of what we're going to be talking today are, uh, logical fallacies that can be applied to a lot of different spaces and have been applied to a lot of different spaces in arguments and things like that. It's just for us, we're a gaming podcast. Come on. That's what we're going to talk about. So, with all of that out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about probability <laughs> first. Ha. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is an appeal to probability. Uh, and there are two kind of subcategories that we're going to be talking about in a bit. But this is um, kind of the idea that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong, right? It's a log logical fallacy of taking something for granted because it will be probable. If I don't bring my umbrella, it will definitely rain. But because I have my umbrella on me, it's not going to rain. Right. Those types of fallacies that are just inaccurate logic. Um, so the one thing I wanted to say about this one, I mean, it is a fallacy, right? It's not completely accurate. But there are some tropes within literature that people pull from that makes them think that this is that things are more probable and in some ways they're not incorrect right like there are common there, there's reasons we call them tropes or common tropes for a reason so like i get it but also that's not always true uh and sarah i think you had a really good example of yeah so one of the things, so personally, as a gamer, I'm just sort of like a go with the flow. We're just going to keep moving on. We're going to fail forward, uh, sort of this stuff. And and one type of player that sort of gets under my skin um, is the person who tries to read into what the GM is doing too much um, just by kind of, you know, going like, oh, well, the GM had us roll to find stuff in this room and we didn't roll really well, so we didn't find anything so that means that there has to be something in this room, and we just haven't found it yet. Sometimes, true, sometimes the GM's just messing with you. Oh, uh, as GM, I can say that definitely has happened. 
<laughs> like, like that's a thing that they can do. Um, and for me, there's, you know, there's sort of, uh, you know, especially if you're playing like an adventure path and there is something in that room you're supposed to find your, your GM is going to make sure that you find it if it's important, like to advance the story. So you just had, for me, it's kind of a trust thing with your GM. Um, but those sort of achievement hunter type players that that really want to just they inspect everything and they want to make sure that they get every single possibility they're going to 100% the game which i don't know how you do that in D&D that doesn't seem like a thing you can do um you know i think they get caught up a little bit too much in the minutia and that that drives me a little bit up the wall so that's that's all I have to say about that one. No, absolutely. I also think that as GMs, we can actually help with that too, right? Like, I know a lot of people give secret roles a hard time, but this is one area where I think secret roles can really benefit you. If you have written down on a piece of paper, and I know I do, all of your players' passive perceptions, and you know they have to get a certain threshold to find a certain piece of evidence, like, you know what their average role is gonna be, right? So you can just say, oh, um, Nitka found whatever in this room. Also, if your story relies on a role to get correct, that's not interesting. That's not fun. Because what if they fail? Right? It's all about uh, a concept of failing forward, which is something that is written in the book, actually. So, you know, definitely think about that. You know, why are you having your players roll right now? Is there a specific reason? Is it just to mess with them? 100% I have done that. <laughs> Not even gonna lie, I've done that to people on this call. Hey. Just saying. Alright, so then there are two types of fallacies that play into this appeal to probability that are very dice-specific. And um, first we're gonna talk about the hot hand fallacy. So the hot hand fallacy, and you hear this a lot, um, typically with gambling, um, which rolling dice is, eh, you know, could be considered that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you can you consider or you can think of your hand as hot, right? That's where it comes from. Oh, man, I'm really rolling good tonight. Uh, mm -hmm. Or, like, uh, I've rolled two ones in a row. Guess I'm just shit. There's my one cuss word for the episode. Ah, you stole it. Sorry. It'll end up, I guess I'm just shit. <laughs> but yeah, Chad, did you have anything else you wanted to say about that one? It's definitely all about, you know, you roll two 20s in a row, you roll two ones in a row row it can all it makes you think oh well hey the 
the gods clearly want me to do this thing tonight, or they clearly want me to step away for a bit. Uh, and you just think, well, I, I gotta go with it. I just gotta keep going with it. Why not? And frankly, it's, it, guys, it's, it's a fallacy, just like everything else we're talking about here tonight. It's not true. Yeah, your dice are going to, um, every time you pick up that die, you're rolling a 1 in 20 chance. And yet I'll still fall for it. Yeah, I, oh, I know, me too. Which leads us right into the other one, and probably a lot of you guys have heard of this, which is the gambler's fallacy. Which, the gambler's fallacy was the inspiration for me writing this episode. And that is kind of like the hot hand fallacy, but a little more broad. So, where you're saying, my previous role was 18, 20, and uh, 19. So, n- probability-wise, I'm probably going to fail, right? Because I've been uh, rolling really high. Um, so, probability states, I'm going to roll, roll really low. And the reason that this is a fallacy specifically is because that probability is when you're looking at the chance of rolling certain numbers in a row, right? But every time you pick up that D20, it's a 1 in 20 chance to get a certain number. Every time you pick it up. I still have this fallacy, absolutely, because every time I... Whenever I roll a nat 20, I immediately go, all right, I'm not going to do something important with my next roll because that will be a natural one. And it usually actually ends up happening to me, but... Are you sure? (laughs) Nope, don't want to do it. Nope, I don't trust that die anymore. It was really nice to me. I don't trust it now. It must have ulterior motive. Along along those same lines... uh... Chad and Beth, I think you'll both remember this. Uh, when I was playing my monk and we just got tired of rolling four attacks in a row. In one session, twice, I rolled all four of my D20 attacks at the same time. Called out which one was, you know, which attack, whatever, count for multi-attack penalty. Each time I did it, I missed all four attacks. It, it it's actually true. <laughs> That's amazing. And that that was like a plus twelve to hit. It was mm-hmm. it was nuts. So I actually do that all the time, especially when I was playing in Rise of the Rune Lords. Um, we were, you know, eventually high level players. We were once once you get to tenth level and up, you're rolling tons of dice all the time. And so I had a specific order, like my green one was first, my red one was second, and my clear one was third. It was always that order, and I would always roll them at the same time. Always. But some people won't do that. Refuse. Because of the same reason that you're talking about. Uh, You also see a lot of people saying, well, get all your ones out on the rolls that don't matter. You shake them out of those dice. No. That's that is in no way how that works. Uh, also, 
and I'm sure many of you have done this because I know some of you have done it. Uh, anybody put their dice in dice jail? Yeah. Does it work? I mean, if I put them in dice jail and don't roll with them, I don't roll bad numbers with them. So, but you're also not rolling good numbers with them. Yeah, we 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 let the dice that don't land in dice jail roll the good numbers (laughs) and the bad numbers. Well, yeah, there's uh, so you don't necessarily do dice jail, Chad, but you definitely will roll something and then be like, "Okay, you, you know, didn't roll well I for roll me." A different dice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But that's also just because I'm like, "Oh, but this die is really pretty. I also want to play with that." One. <laughs> well, that's a different reason, and that's my reason to. <laughs> But this one's gold. Oh, but this one has transparent with leaves. Oh, I want to do that one. Let's go. I just want to roll all the dice. That's fair. I bought a set of green dice and blue speckled dice, like chess X dice, whatever, when I first started. And it's like the green one, it's, it's like it's reliable. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll almost never get a, get a 20 out of it but I can almost always land something between like 10 and 15, whatever. The blue one, mm. it's it's below 5, or it's 18, 19, 20. You don't get much in between. Uh-huh. That tells me something about your dice. But we'll yeah. talk about that in a bit. Yeah, uh, we will. The only so, I think I've seen that actually does roll better than any others was a cheat die, guys. It's a roll yeah. of the D20 that has an extra 20, 19, and 18 instead of the 1, 2, and 3. Oh. That's amazing. Yes. So That's uh, terrible. It's a cheat die. It's also, I found, can be used for, um, for GMs if they want to, say, punish a player who was acting poorly at the table. They can roll it against them. Or instead of giving someone, uh, shoot, what was it? I'm forgetting, guys. It's been a while since we played. It's, insp- it's not inspiration. What do we get? Hero, hero point. points. Yeah. Instead of giving uh, players hero points, they give them this cheat die to roll instead. Oh, jeez. I hate if, that. If I recall, you still rolled a five on it, though. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I originally so, got it because I was going into a campaign where someone was petri- half of our team was petrified and our healer was about to get petrified on the next session. And I was like, I don't want everybody to die. So I went out and bought this stupid cheat die. And then I felt oh too bad God. about myself. I felt too upset with myself to actually use it. If I found out one of my players was rolling a cheat die at my table, I'd make them destroy it in front of me. I mean, not actually, but yeah, I'd make sure they don't use that. So there's a couple of things in doing research that I found. I haven't seen uh, some of the these at the table, but I have seen one of them. Uh, so the first one is arranging your dice. I've seen this, for sure. 
where uh, people will arrange their dice in front of them on the 20s facing up, or, or if it's a D12 on the 12 facing up. Because then they're training their die to land that way. I'll, I'll do the opposite. I'll, I'll put the one up. Just that, that way it, just, it gets exposed. Why? Oh all, my gosh! You get all that one energy out. Are you serious? Yeah. I, but I never noticed you do that. I used oh. to arrange them that way so that I could know which die was what. So I'd know, oh, this is the D20, oh, this is the D8. Before I recognized the dice. But, uh, no, I never arranged them hoping, going like, oh yes, crit for me. Crit. No, I wouldn't yeah. expect that to work. I I arrange mine just in terms of, like, I mean, how many sides they have. I don't necessarily care about which number is facing up, but that's really just so that I don't have to, like, paw through a mountain of dice to get to one that I want when I need to roll it. Yeah, and I think that's just being practical. I like to build dice towers. That's just fun. Hmm. My uh, dice tray has this thing on the outside that's like a raised setting where you put all your dice and the inside is where you roll them so it's like an arena and then all the dice are watching the other dice in the arena battle that, that reminds me of the final Star Wars film where there were all the all the Sith ghosts or whatever Spoil- they were spoiler alert every hey, single hey. one of them Whoa. was either a Skywalker or a Palpatine that's all you could do Th- those are the only two families you can be in. No. Yeah. Clearly. That's all you got. All right. Now that we've pissed off all the Star Wars nerds, uh, the one thing. Boom. Midichlorian. Oh my gosh. Oh, Stop it. Am I the only one who kind of liked the Midichlorians? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, lots, I mean, lots somebody of wrote it. Them. Okay. It was canon for many years. It still is, I think. I'm still waiting for the Midichlorian movie. It was what supposed the? to be like Osmosis Jones. <laughs> oh my gosh, stop. Yeah. I'm not kidding. That was supposed to be a thing. No. They were supposed to go I like inside a Jedi's body and have like a I refuse to believe this. I absolutely refuse to believe that that is real. I'm going to need to see your sources, Chad. Uh, that will not be linked in the description because it's not real. No, Chad, I need this link directly to me so I can look at it. And if it's one tweet that's actually just a joke, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> no, but All it right, was anyway. something I heard about like three years ago. I will have to see if I can find the source. Oh my gosh, that is... No, I don't. Make sure to send it to her privately. I don't want to see this. <laughs> okay, right, I'll anyway. just tell you whether or not it's real. Oh my god, I it. <laughs> anyway, the one that I have not seen, but I actually did find like some anecdotal evidence of people saying that they do this, is not sharing your dice. Like, what? I mean, I understand like having your favorite sets, and so if somebody like needs a set of dice, like you're not going to give them the one that you always play with, but you're going to give them one of the twenty other sets that you carry with you at all times. Like that's understandable. 
Yeah, but you're just not going to give them the pretty ones. Right, but, like, not sharing any of them ever? That just seems like you're a bad team player. I agree. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, The other thing that I heard of was pre-rolling your dice before you buy them. And I actually used to do this when I bought single. So when I was in college, I didn't have like a ton of dice. I had been uh, sharing with my boyfriend. And so like I maybe had like a D20 I thought was cute one time. And so I would go to the store every once in a while and just pick up like, you know, oh, I'm playing a cleric. Better grab an extra D8 this week. And I would pre-roll them. And then pick the one that rolled for me the nicest. How many times would you roll it? Three. And then take the average. Okay. Uh, This is stupid. Don't do it. Uh, And now I balance test all of my dice. Which is what we're going to talk about next. Because you can't actually have bad or good dice. And what happens is in the manufacturing process, they're poorly made. So there's something you can easily do to balance test your dice. Yeah, so Chad actually forwarded this one to me. Mm -hmm. You take like eight ounces of water, you know, ish, 30 tablespoons? That can't be right. No. Yes. It is correct. I mean, That's you, 30? There's, there is no way that 30 tablespoons of sugar is going to dissolve into 8 ounces of water. It does. I actually have a link to the YouTube video in the description. You can watch it. So a lot of people use salt. They use the same thing to balance test yeah. their dice. Only salt. The problem is, with anything but your D20, you need a thicker liquid right you need essentially a syrup oh i didn't care about anything but the d20 <laughs> the d20 is the main thing so I'm, the other dice mm. yeah the the video that i have um that i'll make sure to link is a guy testing um all of his dice and it's sugar now salt won't dissolve that much like eventually the water just won't take any more salt but sugar it will take a lot of that maybe that was my problem because i could not get it to work for my dice and i was i was doing water and salt um try sugar yeah and use warm water okay will this also dice no it does not work on metal dice sorry to say uh I will say for any of you who are into like cocktails and stuff, don't use this as a simple syrup afterwards because it's too sweet. It's not the right ratio. Simple syrup's one to one. I use a two to one actually. Do also, you? The dice I you've do, been playing but... with all this time has now been in this. So, no, I wouldn't want to use this in a cocktail. I mean, I wash them off. Well, yes, that is true. Like, you have no idea what is on your dice. Let's be real here. Please please disinfect your dice. Good idea. It's true. But first, balance test them. 
Um, but yeah, I actually I have two two YouTube videos that show this. One shows like what you have to do to like keep flipping it over, and if it keeps going to one number, it's not balanced. And then the guy in the video cuts his die open and shows the the issues in the in the process. The uh, the problems inside the die. If you're really worried about it, do what? He sacrificed the bad die. He did, but it was like rolling 17 all the time. He had to set an example for the other die. That's not a bad True. die. Keep that. Yeah. Se- rolling 17, 17 regularly is not that bad. Oh my gosh. No, you want your dice to be balanced. You don't want to be a cheater. Yeah, but it's 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 also not too high that your GM wouldn't believe it if it regularly pops up. It looks like you have since this didn't work for you, you uh David, you had another option. Yeah. Uh you know, I'm 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 big on numbers and math, so I I had f- uh four of them, the same four that I rolled and missed all four attacks on twice. Uh I I just rolled them fifty times a piece. And then just type the numbers out into a spreadsheet and ran some some statistics on them. Uh, and honestly, that that blue one that I said would only roll low or only roll high, like it did roll low and high, like slightly more than it did in the middle. But you know, it was you know it was only off by like a percentage or two because you know it's supposed to be. F- Five percent across the board. One, you know, one twenty, whatever. Not statistically significant. No, not enough. The the p value was off. Yep. Ooh, we getting some real good math up in here. I'm gonna have to go Google p value again. <laughs> no, but yeah, just as with all fallacies, those are the things you remember. It's the one weird so, thing your grandma told you. Obviously, this is for physical dice. Uh, so, for those of us who are using a lot of dice rollers right now, uh, I don't really want to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to link an article that talks about random number generators and pseudo-random number generators. and It's complicated. Any dice roller that you're coming across is good enough. It just is. The only one that I've ever seen that doesn't seem to be really random is the Google one. Still haven't tried this one. So I, haven't I thought they fixed it after that like Gizmodo article came out. Oh, see, I didn't even know about that. I just know that I used it one time and my players got pissed. I thought it was you guys. It was. Yeah. It was us. Yeah. <laughs> that that was almost a TPK. <laughs> almost killed all of us. Hey, 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 hey. You lived. If people Barely. don't die on this show, we're not living up to our name, alright? I think I was the one who brought up that point and Beth begged us not to kill our characters. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's move now away from dice and probability and talk about um, some other kind of interesting fallacies. 
Um, the first one is the identity fallacy. And this can this can go really bad places. I'm not gonna lie. So the identity fallacy is when your argument is based on a physical or social identity. So based on social class, generation, ethnic group, gender, sexual orientation. Like I said, that one can go in really bad places. So watch out for it. A uh, couple of good examples uh, that you see a lot in Pathfinder are actually goblins. Well, that's a goblin. Obviously, they can't read. When, you know... Ha have you met my girl Ashka? <laughs> it's just... Stereotypes, right? Now, I will say there are many times that those stereotypes are written into um, certain uh, groups' cultures, but I would say move your group away from that. Uh, what are some other examples that you guys have for this type of thing? I mean, orcs needing to be big and dumb. Mm-hmm. Pretty obvious one. Uh, if we're sticking to in-game, in-game's version of these. Yes, we are for right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would encourage everybody to look at their uh, personal life and make sure that you're not doing this. The in real life, one of the ones I hear all the time is generational. I hear stuff about generations all the time that I think fit in this bill. But what else for, for gaming? Probably necromancers having to be evil. They don't. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> it's just you'd, more fun to be evil. If you'd have evil. to stick to a real small subset of necromancy to not be evil, though. Yeah, or, not, like, some of the necromancy spells, you legitimately had to be evil. But not all of them. And not all of them. A and healing... you don't have to have that spell in your book. Exactly. What all you're trying to do is your wife had died at some point, and you are trying to simply find a way to bring her back to life. You know, sometimes you gotta lose an arm and a leg or your entire physical body and you get trapped in a suit of armor. It just happens, okay? Happens. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's some... There's some really good storytelling that can be done here. But I think that anytime you're dealing with identity and people are making assumptions... I would just call people out on it um, and say, hey, you know, that's not always the case. And maybe that's been in your experience, but give this person a chance. So, uh, which leads us right into the next one, which is jumping to conclusions. And this is, in fact, a tr an actual fallacy. I always thought it was a, a just a phrase that people said. Um, but it's not. So, obviously, jumping to conclusions. 
also known as hasty conclusions, uh, which is drawing a conclusion without taking the needing, needed time to evaluate. Um, so that's something that is done all the time. You see this a lot now uh, in fiction, where it's like, well, we know that you jumped to this conclusion, so we're going to subvert that. Um, and I would just encourage you to, at your table, make sure your players are taking their time before they, you know, jump to those conclusions. But it's also very easy, right? To like, I've played D&D enough to know this is where the story is going. Well, maybe that's not the case. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. I just just a word about subverting expectations and I think this applies uh sort of to homebrew because you know like in in adventure paths that it everything is sort of written for you already. Um not all of it, but a lot of it. Um and this this comes off from my container my continued bitterness uh towards Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, because Same. The writers of Game of Thrones were like, hey guys, we we just really don't want anyone to guess the ending at all. Which is weird, because when you have a singular writer's room against the entire internet, you're not going to win. Um, so... If you're trying if so hard to subvert the expectations of your players that it makes you write something horrible, don't do that. Like, it's okay if your players are smart and they guess what's going to go on. Is it more fun if they don't? Sometimes, yes. But also, don't, like, bend over backwards to rewrite your entire homebrew if somebody manages to guess what's going on. Yeah, I've definitely heard situations like that. For sure. Alright. The next one I find to be kind of like harder to understand. Uh least i did uh maybe some of you guys have already heard of it but it's called the masked man fallacy and uh it's essentially where you're saying i know alex we all know alex right the masked bandit over there cannot be alex because we don't know them we know alex Never mind that we never see them together. Uh, which, David, I think you wrote that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I just did. It was a really, ga- a really great example. Yeah, it, one of the simplest things that most, simplest examples that most people would recognize is, you know, think of like a lot of DC superheroes. So Bruce Wayne and Batman, uh, whoever Superman is and Superman I don't remember. Kent. Yeah, Clark Kent. I'm, I'm not a superman. <laughs> I don't like him, but I know him. Know of him. Sorry. Not friends with him. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, and then, you know, I think this one kind of ties into the jumping to conclusions thing. 
because you're sort of jumping to the conclusion that you know this masked villain has to just be this amazing, powerful, or evil something that you, you, you'd never know, you could never comprehend. It sure, certainly can't be your neighbor or whatever. Hmm. Uh, one one of my favorite examples of this is uh, from the very first Saw movie. So, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this movie that came out 20 years ago or whatever. I was just about to look up when it came out. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't quite 20. 2004. Okay. 16 years ago, the movie is old enough to drive itself to go see itself. Okay, so uh, I was watching this with just a bunch of bunch of friends, and you know, first scene pops up. They're all locked in a room, and they're like, "Oh my god, I don't know how we got here. Who locked us here?" And there's this apparently dead person just laying in the middle of the floor. It's set up to look like they had committed suicide or something. There's a gun and blood, and they're just laying there. And I just blurt out, "It's that guy right there. He's not dead. Just not knowing. Just." trying to call the trope from the first scene or whatever. Somebody just turns to me and is like, did you see this already? <laughs> oh. No, I didn't mean to ruin it for 12 of my friends. I'm sorry. That's hilarious. So that that is masked man and jumping to conclusions. Although, I was correct, apparently. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, but as far as like how this might go in games, I don't know. I'm going to have to rely on Beth for that, for examples there. So, I think that you can see this in uh, the Borderlands series. In terms of role-playing games, uh, actually, a good role-playing and video game reference is... Uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Have any of you guys played that? I haven't even heard of it. Heard of it. Oh my gosh. Okay, hold on. I've only ever heard you talk about it, Beth. Are you serious? Have I talked about this before? You've talked about playing Vampire the Masquerade. So I played, I actually ran um, a Vampire the Masquerade game in high school. It was a terrible experience. Uh, because we were all teenagers and stupid. But uh, I really do like the Vampire Masquerade universe. And uh, the video game is really fun. Now, it is older. Uh, came out in 2004. Just, you know. Just, just like so yeah, six, 16 years old. So, understand video games don't always age the best. Uh, but I think this one, like, I think it's very, very good. Uh, and one of the plot, the main plot point of the game deals with this, actually, uh, really, really well. And I'm not going to go into spoilers because I really want all of you to go play it. And um, they're in the process of developing a Bloodlines 2. Super hype, can't wait. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely instances of this where the game is gonna do that twist on you. Um, but also, like, for 
at the table. I just think that keep your keep your mind open, right? Um especially when it comes to big bad. So the last one is kind of a, an interesting one. And I, I've actually seen this a lot in some of the news articles that I've been reading lately. And it's called the Nirvana Fallacy. And what it is, is you're comparing an, a realistic solution with an idealized one. And discounting or even dismissing the realistic solution because you're comparing it to perfect world or impossible standards. Uh, so ignoring the fact that improvements uh, can sometimes be good enough. And, and what I usually think of when I think of this one is we all want plan A, right? We all want plan A to work. It's, it's the perfect solution. It's also impossible, but we all want plan A, right? Uh, and so w w when you as a team, as a group, have to come together and come up with plan B or C or sometimes Y. We all want Sonny to actually attack the enemy. <laughs> Instead, just gives him a big old plant bear hug oh my gosh that's hilarious but you know what we deal we have to sometimes take uh small victories but anyway for fallacies I want to talk about one that is very specific to the gaming community. And only some of you listening are going to have heard of this. So again, all of my sources are down uh, in the description. One of them is actually uh, an old forum post from like 2008 um, that can only be found in the Wayback Machine. So that kind of gives some context for this. Uh, it's called the Stormwind Fallacy. And there used to be a set of forums where I was a lurker. Um, my husband also participated quite a bit. It was the D&D &D Optimization Forums. And uh, some of you guys are groaning right now. And in these optimization forums, they would put forth these insane builds. And one of them was called Pun Pun. Now, I'm not going to go into Pun Pun. Just understand that it was an impossible build of a kobold that would just ruin a game. Completely unkillable. Completely fictional. Because your game master would never let you play it. Right, but it's the optimization forums, and they would go crazy, right? Like it was all these interesting thought spaces to be in. There was a a person on the forums 
me get his full exact name because he's actually still around, still participating in some um, forums now. Tempest Stormwind. I had to get the first name. So Tempest Stormwind was this person's username. And in this forum where we're talking about pun pun, right? Um, what, what is a GM to do when somebody comes to the table with this impossible build, right? And he comes up with this fallacy, which is the role player versus the role player fallacy. And that's R-O-L-E versus R-O-L-L. That you cannot have a fantastic character with a rich, deep backstory that is also an optimal play style. And this is a fallacy, right? And there's um, a lot to go into on that. I don't want to spend, like, a ton of time on it. But just because you optimize your character mechanically, it does not mean that you can't also roleplay and have this enriched backstory. Now, everybody here on this call is going to be like, yeah, of course. Because we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Of like taking certain choices and why you would take certain choices over others for mechanical reasons, but also story reasons, things like that. I also want to point out that Pathfinder 2, I have found for the most part, there definitely are exceptions. Cough, cough, alchemist. Um, <clears throat> that are very, very balanced. Most classes are. So one of the things that you would hear about in D&D, Pathfinder 1st Edition, is casters were essentially god-tier. They were tier 1, uh, paladins and other half-casters were tier 2, and so on and so forth. And there was this master list that, you know, talked about what classes were the most optimal. And, uh, people would pick options based on, well, obviously this is going to give me the best damage output. And sacrifice good story for that. And I think to them, they felt like it was a sacrifice. And that's not necessarily true. So, that is the Stormwind fallacy. And you'll see a lot of um, people who were on the forums in 2004 talk about it. Because <laughs> we're old. <laughs> uh, but you probably won't hear it much at the gaming table now. And it was 2007, not 2004. Finally, kind of continuing on to, like, things in the gamer community are a few myths that I heard about. 
there's this really interesting article by the escapist that kind of went over um different myths in the role-playing community and there were a couple of shall we say choice picks uh the first one is winners and losers. If you are playing a role-playing game and you are trying to win, I would say you are playing it wrong. Now, it may be that you find a group and you all are winning and having a great time and good for you. But for me, that's not what gaming is. Not role-playing game. It's not tabletop. It's not about winning or losing or getting all the achievements. It's about creating a story and playing within, obviously, the rules, but playing for fun. Any, anything you guys want to add to that? Sometimes it's, I just think it's fun to have your character lose something every once in a while. Uh, and in, in that last episode, I, I rolled a one and I just stuck with it, trying to get down that hole. I'm like, oh, nope, my wizard's uncoordinated. Let's hope there's no fall damage. Yeah, I don't I think, uh, personally, I haven't played a whole lot of other systems. Um, but, you know, I think for people who really like want to scratch that itch to win there are better ways to do that and sort of same thing with like if you're trying to optimize your character um so so you can just have that max damage like there are other systems that will allow that more um so, I mean, I, th- I think it just depends on, on what you're looking for. You know, I think, you know, D&D and Pathfinder are great places to play around with character builds and, and to do that. But ultimately, like, the role-playing for me is a really important part. And so the role-playing and the creating a story together and, like, actually sort of developing characters um, that aren't just self-inserts like i think that that's way more interesting and creates a better space to play in than just i i don't want to say just rules but like sort of sort of more more focused on all of the mechanics and like being really rigid yeah and i think that you can actually be very focused rule for focused um, we tend not to be, but there are other games that I've played in where it's very strategy oriented. Mm-hmm. I would say all of those people are still very big onto the role playing side of that as well. I think is this is one of those instances where you can have your cake and eat it. Right. And if you'll listen back to what I just said, you'll hear that it's it's that exact fallacy that you were talking about, about having a player mm-hmm. that's very mechanically focused or very roleplay focused. It's not, you know. Yeah, you can, you can have both. Absolutely. I definitely agree. 
so I think that brings us to my personal favorite. And this is one where we were, we were not rehearsing, but we were going over my notes. And Sarah literally laughed out loud about it. I will need to keep myself in check a little bit because I have a lot of, I have a lot of opinions about this one. It's fair. So on this list that I found on The Escapist was that girls don't roleplay. Yep, confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't over half of our group female? Uh, Yes. Hey, hey, David. Yeah. This is an intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The intervention has changed multiple times, but now it's definitely about you and this. Yes. (laughs) I think for us, this seems very silly. And for me in most of my life, actually, this seems very silly. Uh, Especially because I've been gaming since I was 15 years old. But my first group, I was the uh, one of the players' girlfriends. I like, um, and the GM would drag his girlfriends in, and they would have no interest at all. I felt kind of bad for them. Me, I was very different, right? Like, I wanted to be there. I personally she think... like other girls. Yeah, <laughs> gross. <laughs> I personally think that if our GM had actually, you know, spent the time to talk to his girlfriends, uh, they'd be really into it. And one of them eventually was because I talked to her. And became her friend and was like, oh, this is actually cooler than you think. You know, don't just hand, you know, your girlfriend a character sheet and be like, oh, you're going to come to D&D night. Like, stop it. But also, you need to make it a space where women, people of other cultures, people of color feel comfortable coming to your table. If you look around and you see mirror copies of yourself sitting at your table, I would reflect and say, is there a reason for that? And is that reason because you're not making your table accessible to girls, to people of color, to people outside of your space? So, uh, yeah, girls role play. Let's just, let's just say that. Uh, did I cover it for you, Sarah? Yeah. Um, just to, just to sort of punctuate that point. Um, you know, there are a couple different examples of, of this, but one of the things I always like to ask people, um, you know, because I've, I've also been going through a different version of this my whole life, which is, oh, you know, girls aren't interested in STEM. We need to help them get into that because they're not, you know, interested in it. They're not, there's not enough women in, in tech or STEM fields or any of this. Um, and there's actually extensive research about how women and girls are interested in this stuff. It's just that like systemically um, the environment is so toxic that they leave because it becomes so much work to put up and like 
try to be part of these environments when they're clearly not welcome in them, um, that it's just draining. And so it's too much work to continue to be a part of these environments that isn't welcoming to you. Um, you know, so so in the case, you know, if 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 you're looking around and you're seeing, you know, oh, we don't have any girls that play with us. Uh, first of all, did you invite any to play with you? Uh, and then, you know, if you did and they maybe came for a couple of sessions and they're like, oh, sorry, I, you know, can't do this anymore. Were they just being polite and didn't want to tell you that you made them feel unwelcome? And, you know, whether it's in, intentional or not, you know, a lot of a lot of women won't directly confront men about situations like that. So um, the, the question is really, why would girls want to play with you? Very good point. Finally, we're ending on some heavy notes. I didn't mean for that to be the case. <laughs> this is why I said you shouldn't Oops. let me talk. <laughs> oh, no. Oops. Because I'm about to go off on something that is very personal to me, which is that D&D, one, leads to devil worship, and two, can help you learn how to cast spells. No. <laughs> to both of those. This you gotta is do a lot of extra study on your own time. D&D will not teach you that. Hey, you know, if you want to know more about spellcasting and traditions that sort of follow that, I can help get you resources. D&D isn't it. It's not it. I'm sorry. It's Simply just knowing not. that a spell requires somatic materials does not tell me what kind of gestures I'm supposed to be making during those somatic materials. I don't. Also, they're not, not real. <laughs> <laughs> they're not real spells. <laughs> the reason that that this is so personal to me is because as a 17 year old, I, I hid that I was gaming from my family, and at not 17, a phase, mom. <laughs> yeah, I had to essentially have that conversation. Gasp. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom was concerned. And for, I would say, the first five years of me role-playing, I refused to put a deity down on my character sheet to appease my mom. And because of my own uh, false beliefs at the time. So. Yeah, uh, this is very much alive and well type of belief. Uh, a lot of it stems from something called chick tracks. Is anybody aware of what chick tracks are? No, but I'm assuming it has very little to do with women. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, so, Jack Chick was he he is passed away at this point but um put together these tracks uh of christian theology little comics um posters things like that um that had very evangelical themes um had a lot of anti-catholicism 
anti uh, LGBTQ, uh, anti um, evolution, and some of them were anti role playing. And uh, this is something that I've actually seen in real life. Like, this isn't something, yes, I'll, I'll include the Wikipedia post for it, but it's not something that I had to look up because I saw one and was. I had to dispel those myths to my family at 17. And what it came down to was. Look, I'm going to play this game no matter what, and just know that I'm not doing devil worship. And fortunately for me, my parents trusted me and were able to see that, okay, yeah, no, Beth is not worshiping the devil. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that was not I've what heard, I was doing. I've, I've heard that Satanists can be very lovely people. I... Uh, it will not comment, but I have heard the same. The reason I won't comment is because I I've never met that well, I know that's of. That's why I said I've I've heard it. I also haven't met any Satanists personally, but I assume that Satanists, much like uh, people of all other faiths, some of them are really cool and some of them are dicks. So like, eh? oh, you mean like the entire human race? Right. That's what I'm saying. Great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I could believe that. I, I have met, especially um, in college and now as an adult, I don't count college students adults yet. Um, I have met a lot of people of a lot of different faiths and have benefited from it. Um, for sure. Uh, and many of those people also play D&D. Imagine that. Um, yeah, I think D&D is for everybody, but role-playing games. Uh, D&D is not for everybody. That's a discussion for a way different episode. Um, but yeah, that, that's a couple heavy ones. Uh, but for the most part, I think we've talked about some really good myths, superstitions, and fallacies. I would be really interested to see how many of these you guys have come across on your table. And if we missed any, let us know about it. Oh, please do. I know that I did. Um, I probably am going to do a follow-up episode uh, on a couple of different topics in this. Um, if you guys want to know more about chick. Uh, tracks. Let me know. I will try to find one. I think mom still has one up in the attic. Be cool to find one. There's scans of them online, though. Um, there's also a movie. Oh, gosh. Does anybody know the name of that movie? This is D&D, anti-D&D propaganda. Uh... It had a famous actor in it. Not Bruce Willis, but the other one that looks like Bruce Willis. Mazes and Monsters. There it is. Tom Hanks. Really? <laughs> Tom Hanks was in it. Yep. Oh, now I'm sad. He looks like Bruce Willis? Yeah, he does look like... They look like each other. 
Definitely. Fight me. Anyway, it was 1982. So I would have been five years old when that came out. And my parents definitely watched that. I knew, I knew it was something like Myths and Monsters. Mazes and Monsters. But a lot of... A lot of people took that to be truth. Also had some A plus um, dealing with mental illness. Let me tell ya. Gosh, I haven't seen this in so long. It, it, it premiered on CBS. Did not know that. Um, we had it on... We had it on an old VHS my mom had recorded off of TV. <laughs> hey, guys, of how you doing? <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Yep. But anyway, yeah, that was kind of a blast from the past. Um, well, I guess some we'll... of our pasts. Yeah, j- just me, I think. <laughs> just me. This is super weird. But. Um, fortunately, my younger sister got to deal with it a lot less when she started playing D&D because I had already dealt with it. Um, and eventually I had a group of, um, players that played Pathfinder. We played one of the, um, adventure paths. It was my sister, my husband, my niece. And my other sister. And we played every Sunday. And my parents knew about it, so. Growth can happen, guys! Anyway. A lot of these fallacies, I I would say the majority of them, aren't hurting anybody. As long as, like, your superstitions aren't hurting anyone, have fun. If you want to... If you want to line all of your D20s up in numerical order, going from 20 to 1, do it. I don't care. Just know that as long as your dice are perfectly balanced, it doesn't actually matter. Any, uh, any other parting words for our captive audience? During their intervention? Be nice to girls. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe they'll game with you. Maybe. 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 Like if they're into that. Well, Chad, take us out. Well, y'all, I think it's safe to say I've just picked up some more gamer fallacies. I'm doomed. I think uh, y'all are going to hate playing with me from now on. Uh, Anyways, let us know about any fallacies you might have, uh, how they affect your games, or any funny stories about them. Please, we can't wait to hear from you. (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, we'll talk to you guys again later. But until then, remember, dice don't die. But player characters do. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. 
Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work and the work of many others can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.